Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want people to look at Lincoln and say, man, it boggles my mind. This kid is on life support and he's got a terminal illness, but he knows Hebrew and French and sign language and he's able to communicate and do all this stuff and he's this smart? Yes. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're going to continue to discuss Lincoln's Shot, our eight-part serial narrative. You can read the entire series at tampabay.com slash Shot. But here on the podcast, we're walking through the chapters one by one. It starts with a reading from Lane. This is... Chapter 6. Today's topic, The Rescue. Maggie Hold German woke with a start, her phone pinging beside her bed. She hadn't slept well, all these nightmares about losing Lincoln. And now, before dawn, text messages were streaming in. She swallowed a Xanax and picked up her cell phone. Did you hear? Can you believe it? Was it Lincoln? The day before, in the pediatric room at the UCLA Medical Center, a nine-month-old boy had gotten the first injection of gene therapy, the shot her son had been waiting for. Lincoln was almost four now, older than boys with his fatal muscular disease were expected to live. He'd been enrolled in a clinical trial for patients with X-linked myotubular myopathy for more than a year. Now, in September 2017, actual dosing had finally begun. Now we can start the countdown, Jamie's mom, Angelica Santiago Thompson, cheered into Maggie's phone that day. Together they did the math. Doctors were going to wait four weeks after the first dose to do the second, to make sure nothing went wrong. That meant boy number two would be in late October, boy number three at the end of November. If it causes kidney or heart failure, Angelica said, they might wait even longer. We can't afford to wait much longer, Maggie said. Days later, in a glass-walled office overlooking San Francisco Bay, Matt Patterson was still anxious, hoping to hear how the UCLA boy was doing. It's incredibly exciting, Patterson said. It's the milestone we've all been striving for. After the first boy had been treated, the staff at his biotech company had gone out for drinks and toasted to his future. As far as they knew, nothing had gone wrong. But I won't feel like I accomplished something until I see these kids improve, Patterson said. His own son was only a few months old and healthy, but now that he was a father, his mission felt more personal. Scientists at his company weren't trying to ease pain or provide therapy. They didn't see their product as a treatment. They wanted to save these boys. They called it a rescue. Patterson had studied biochemistry and worked at Genzyme Corporation, Biomyron Pharmaceutical, and Amicus Therapeutics, trying to get new drugs to market. One of his college friends had a daughter with a rare terminal illness, so much of Patterson's work focused on finding cures for orphan diseases. He didn't know much about gene therapy or X-linked myotubular myopathy until he met Barry Byrne from the University of Florida. 
Byrne was trying to repair broken genes that cause muscular diseases. Through Byrne, Patterson met the Seattle scientist who'd saved the dying puppies and other researchers across the country. For most of 2012, Patterson had tried to convince the venture capital firm he was consulting for to help him start a company. Eventually, they gave him a million dollars. He formed Audentist Therapeutics that fall, naming his company after a Latin word for courage, boldness, daring. For the next six months, he holed up in his Manhattan kitchen, calling would-be investors, explaining gene therapy, and trying to assure them that, yes, soon the government would allow doctors to correct human DNA. If scientists in his lab could produce the corrected version of the MTM1 gene, Patterson thought, he could buy the means to deliver it. The French researchers who'd infected the mice had been using AAV8, an adeno-associated virus that doesn't cause diseases or side effects. Researchers insert the correct DNA into a shell of the virus, then inject that into the patient. The vector delivers the new gene, which overrides the broken one. But in 2015, Patterson learned that the French group couldn't make enough of those vectors to take to a clinical trial. He would have to build his own manufacturing facility. It took almost two years to construct the 38,000-square-foot building. By the time the first boy got the infusion, that fall of 2017, Patterson had raised $300 million, taken his company public, hired 150 employees, produced and tested gene therapy, and convinced the FDA to approve a clinical trial. If the first dose for X-linked myotubular myopathy went to market, he hoped, the process they were creating could be used to deliver gene therapy and to cure a host of other genetic diseases. Along the office halls, portraits of boys with fatal diseases reminded everyone who they were working for. In his office on the 17th floor, John Gray keeps a windsurfing board and a jar of jelly beans. He oversees research for a dentist and studied gene therapy for decades at Harvard and St. Jude Children's Hospital, working to treat diseases from diabetes to dwarfism. Much of his research focuses on improving vectors to deliver a correct version of a broken gene. When Patterson recruited him, he asked what Gray wanted to accomplish in the latter part of his career. Keep researching or work for a company that could actually bring a cure to market? I feel like a kid in a candy store, Gray said. Every time I hear of a new disease, I think, oh, we can solve this. It took 40 years, he said, to go from understanding the basic structure of DNA to getting government approval for the first gene therapy in 1990. Nine years later, Jesse Gelsinger's death halted gene therapy in the United States for nearly two decades. The virus that delivered the new DNA to the Arizona teenager triggered a severe reaction from his immune system, which shut down his organs. Scientists still don't fully understand why that early vector caused such a reaction, Gray said, but newer ones are much less likely to create problems. I think we're going to have a great track record, he said, but it takes a long time to know what the long-term effects will be. Doctors need to treat children as early as possible to be able to rehabilitate them as fully as possible, said Suyash Prasad, a dentist chief medical officer. He joined Patterson's team in 2014 after working for BioMarin, Genzyme Corp, and Eli Lilly, studying treatments for rare pediatric disorders. Because myotubular myopathy isn't progressive, Prasad said, effective boys don't lose muscle over the years. So there's hope that, with the corrected gene, their muscular and respiratory functions could fully recover. But as the boys age, their bodies begin to break down, causing other problems with bones and organs, complications gene therapy might not be able to fix. 
I don't think there'll be much difference between treating boys age zero and four, Prasad said. But for older children, there's a possibility that recovery won't be as full. There would be three levels of serum used in the clinical trial, he explained. The first three boys would get a low dose, the next three a medium. The final cohort would get the highest concentration. If the low dose is effective enough, the doctor said, they might not need to increase the intensity. We have every hope of succeeding, he said, but we actually don't know if it'll work at all. The rescue is made in a laboratory inside a long cream-colored warehouse about 10 miles south of Audente's downtown office. The building includes research areas, freezers, and rows of vats to grow cells. To keep everything sterile, workers don paper bonnets, white lab coats, blue booties, and goggles. The serum, AT-132, starts with a vial of frozen cells, human embryonic kidney cells, offspring of samples first collected in the 1970s, grown in laboratories ever since. When the cells thaw, workers put them into a liquid culture where they begin to divide. Then they separate the cells and move them into increasingly larger containers. In 14 days, one milliliter of cells becomes 10 million. Scientists transfer the cells into two large spinning fermentation chambers called bioreactors, then add the new gene. As the cells spin, the virus incorporates the gene, like candy coating that carries the correct DNA, one scientist said. Agitators in the 500-liter bioreactors keep the viscous liquid turning. Filters sift out cell particles and proteins. Through a window, the purified serum looks like frothy pink beer. It takes about a month to make the treatment. The final product is clear, kept frozen on liquid nitrogen, shipped to hospitals at 110 degrees below zero. The vial that carries the 10-milliliter dose of serum is about as big as a thumb. No one will say what it might sell for, but one analyst predicts the treatment could cost up to $5 million for a single dose. Keeping a boy like Lincoln alive costs Medicaid at least $1.5 million a year, funding supplies, hospitalizations, round-the-clock nursing care. So scientists and parents are hoping insurance will cover the bill, seeing how much a treatment would save over time. The rescue itself is simple. A doctor inserts an IV into the boy's arm, and for a couple hours, the liquid drips into his vein. The boys can be awake during the infusion, and as long as they don't show any side effects, they can go home that night. If this treatment and the new vector are effective and safe, the Food and Drug Administration could allow companies to start marketing gene therapy for all kinds of disorders. In a few years, what was once unimaginable might become as routine as getting a vaccination for polio. A few weeks later, Maggie and her husband, Anthony DeLuna, loaded Lincoln and all his machines into the car, then drove three hours to Gainesville. As part of the clinical trial, they had to travel to the University of Florida four times a year so doctors could test Lincoln's breathing, measure his mobility, take x-rays, draw blood. Maggie and Anthony had been making the pilgrimage for 18 months, but still had no idea when their son would get his shot. You can wait in here, said Dr. Barbara Smith, ushering them into her office. Katie German came too, pushing her nephew's stroller. Smith closed the door. She'd known Lincoln since he was months old, followed his progress for years. Now she wanted to bring in her colleague. Byrne had been among the early scientists to work with AAV8 vectors and had collaborated with researchers around the world. That month, he had 50 children enrolled in various clinical trials. Here's some papers for you to sign, said Smith, pushing a pile toward Maggie. Maggie flipped through 23 pages. Consent forms for the clinical trial. She showed them to Anthony, then stared at the doctor. Does this mean it's official, she asked. 
Here, give me a pen. I don't care what it says. We'll sign it. Lincoln would be the fourth boy to get the treatment, Smith told them. Maggie and Katie fell into each other's arms, sobbing. Anthony lifted his glasses and wiped his eyes. Finally, they had a date, November 6th, just three weeks away, a month before Lincoln would turn four. This work we're doing, we don't know how long it will last, Byrne told them. Lincoln could improve, then decline again. The dogs by then were five years old and still seemed great, but no one knew if the improvements would fade or wear off entirely, or if, down the road, scientists could give another dose to dogs or boys. Maggie was stunned. She thought the fix was forever. Later, she told Anthony, but even if it's only for a while... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, medicine's advancing at such a rapid pace. Look at all the things that have happened just this year. There's no way Lincoln wouldn't get into a redosing study if he needed it down the road. This is some science fiction stuff. During the drive home, Maggie's phone rang. Angelica told her that Jamie also had gotten his date, November 1st. This is just terrifying, Angelica said. No one really knows what's going to happen. Maggie and Anthony were scared too, but couldn't stop smiling. Anthony said it was like winning the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Maggie felt like Moses had just tapped them to cross into the promised land. The next night, after settling back in at home, their favorite nurse brought them lottery tickets. Maggie dressed Lincoln in his Captain America t-shirt, and Anthony opened three leanings. To your family, said the nurse, raising his beer above Lincoln's bed. To the next dose, said Maggie. To Lincoln, said Anthony, bending over his boy. Give me a high five. Lincoln did. Alexa, Anthony shouted. Play Celebration, Volume 10. He wrapped his arms around Maggie and they started dancing, making up new words to the old song. Gene therapy, come on. <laughs> I was waiting to see how you did that last part. You don't part. have to sing, but... <laughs> So why don't you tell everybody how much you love science writing? Oh, God. This, when I first heard about the story, you know, from Maggie, she, she was all about, you know, what it was going to do for Lincoln. But then Anthony jumped in almost immediately and started explaining the science. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm not sure I'm getting all of this. I couldn't even say X-length myotubular myopathy, you know, when I first started doing it. So that was definitely the I mean the scariest part of the story was wondering if Lincoln was going to make it right that was by far the scariest part but then for me as a writer it was terrifying knowing I was going to have to like unravel the science that I didn't understand and, and make it understandable for our readers you know like I, I my, my father's a nuclear physicist and I never understood what he did ever and so I was thinking like how am I going to explain sorry dad if you're listening <laughs> he knows <laughs> But yeah, I, it, it was very intimidating, and I think this is the first time in like 30 years that I've actually sent big passages of my story back to the scientists and the biotech people being like, did I get this right? Because I knew if it was wrong, it would be very, very wrong, <laughs> you know, but I wanted to make sure that even, you know, a sixth grader could understand. And, and looking back, I have to say now, one of the nicest compliments that came from the series was I got an email from 
a middle school science teacher who said she was reading it to her students and they were with me on it. And I was like, oh, that's so great if I can make middle school kids understand this. So if you guys will recall, I mean, what we were doing with this series was braiding uh, two narratives, really. One is Lincoln and one is the science and research. And and it really is, um, I mean, the reason that we've Obviously, we had this family that's really incredible and willing to let us go on this ride. But we also had – it is this amazing moment in history, like in in medical research. And when, you, when you're able to get your head around it, as, as Lane was forced to and then I'm forced to, um, that we're on the cusp of like solving all these things that now they can understand, especially all these hereditary diseases where they can actually pinpoint what's wrong with you and, and work toward finding a cure and maybe someday – you know, curing you before you're even born. And I mean, it's 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 all this brave new world stuff that just feels um, like, okay, here's this little boy, but he's he's symbolic of something so much bigger. So we were trying to do justice to that too in this series. Exactly. I mean, the, the human part of it isn't just the Lincoln part. The human is all these scientists too that have had all these, I mean, these, and, and I mean, I think something else we discovered in putting these timelines together was it was also the advent of Google and the internet. Right. So all of a sudden, scientists the world. in France could figure out what scientists in North Carolina were doing, and, and they brought all their the research then became exponential, like the way that they were figuring things out because they could connect all of this and share stuff. And that was interesting for you and I because we kept putting our we kept trying to remind ourselves. You know, when you think about just even twenty years ago, how much the world has changed in even twenty years, and like. How many things now are at your fingertips that didn't used to be or, yeah, that the world just feels so much smaller than it was? And I remember being in college when I learned about the Human Genome Project. You know, they were just starting to, like, map the human genome. And now by doing that, how many things has that opened up? You know, not only could they figure out which gene was broken that caused this disease, but where on the gene it was broken and how it was transferred. You know, like, it was fascinating. Right. Talk a little bit about visiting this lab and going to – so uh, Lane and Laura Siri, who was the uh, original photographer on this project and was with us until uh, until she decided to go to Arizona, of all places. But you guys went to San Francisco and in the fall of 2017. Yeah, I had been um, – I mean, I didn't want to just write it about Lincoln. I knew when I got into the story it was also going to be about the science and the whole idea of, like, I'd never seen a story that took somebody through, like, how do you get – from the notion of a cure to actually manufacturing a treatment to actually bringing it to market. And I had no idea how that worked or, or whatever. Um, so I, I reached out to this company fairly early on uh, before the clinical trial had even been sanctioned. You know, they, they had it in the works, but it hadn't been approved by the FDA. And the the president, uh, Matt Patterson, who's in the story there, he didn't want to meet with me initially. So it took me about six months to get him to finally say he would meet with me. He wanted me to come to D.C. And I met him at this, like, swanky, like, luncheon club thing with his lawyer handler on the side. And we had a very stilted, uh, you know, he he didn't, like, warm up to me but um, over the lunch. But he told me a little bit about, about the background and what he was doing. And I said to him then, I'm like, well, I really want to come out and see this facility. You know, I, I want to come meet your scientists. I want to come see how you make this stuff. And he was like, oh, no, I don't think that's going to happen. And so it took about six more months of, like, bugging him, bugging his PR guy, bugging his lawyer guy. Um, 
and saying, you know, when can I come? I wasn't just going to take no. Like, when can I come? Oh, when can I come? We, we, we're, we're. So we um, ultimately, I think, wore them down, and they gave us two days out there, which was amazing. Um, toured the facility, you know, put the boot, booties and the goggles on, met with five different people in the manufacturing, met with five different scientists in their company. And, you know, the notion of creating a multimillion-dollar company, too, I had no idea how that would work, you know, finding investors and approving stuff to stockholders. This was a viable opportunity. It was just through the whole business part of it was interesting. And to your point, these guys, you've got to put a human face on these researchers and scientists, too. I mean, some of these people are really choked up. If you look at the video, I mean, these guys, I mean, they and they have the pictures of the boys on the wall. They are really living this with these families. So that you couldn't have done that if they didn't, if you hadn't had some FaceTime, I don't think. Yeah. And it was interesting to see how, you know, Matt Patterson explained this, too. But it went from being, for a lot of these guys who'd been in the research field and academia, it went from being something completely theoretical, you know, in practice, to being like, oh, my God, this child, I could save this child's life, you know. And you could almost see this shift when the scientists started talking about what they were doing. Now, this was one of the trickier parts of the series, too, for us in terms of managing um, not Maggie and Anthony, because Maggie and Anthony were amazing through this whole thing, willing to share every <laughs> too much, um, you know, <laughs> every every up and down. Um, but, you know, some of the other families Lane was in touch with and trying to keep up with um, got a little uh, worried about talking to us too much and whether it would be okay with the company and whether it would be okay with the FDA. And we spent one long afternoon with Lane going through uh, searches to sort of figure out what the FDA allowed or didn't allow and some back and forth over that. And and it turns out, well, we live in America, so they don't get to tell anybody what <laughs> they can or can't say to the media. But talk a little bit about that process and how frustrating it was and going through that. Yeah, I, did, I didn't think that clinical trials were so, like, secretive, you know what I mean? And and one of the first things that they did with us when we went to San Francisco was sit us down with a lawyer and basically explain, like, we can't have results leaking out ahead of time. We have to wait and be able to present the results to our investors and then to the FDA before we can have anything out in the public about this. So they knew we were following a couple families. Now, initially, we wanted to follow all four boys in Florida. That was the initial idea. There was four boys being treated, and we were going to try to follow all four of them. Um, one of them who lived in Texas and was coming to Florida, they backed out at the very beginning. We had an appointment set up to meet them, and they called us in the parking lot and said, no, we can't do this. We don't want to talk to you. Um, we, you were in Texas. No, we were, we here. were here. We were in Gainesville, yeah. Okay. We, we'd driven still, we'd driven three hours up there right. to meet them and, you know, spoken with them on the phone and everything, and they're in the parking lot where we are, and they're backing out. And I was like, wait, can we just come meet you? No, um, we never met them. And then the other little boy who lived in Orlando, um, he got sick, right, as Maggie was trying to introduce us to him. And his mother was like, this is not a good time or whatever. And and then he died. So we didn't get him in the study either. But Jamie's mom was really weird because she was on board at the beginning, like, come to our house, meet him, hang out with us. Oh, my God, we're in the hospital. We met him in the picky at the hospital. We spent time with them. And then as it got closer and closer to actually getting the actual shot, she got more and more um, hesitant and felt like she, she didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize his chance. You know, she didn't want anything to make the company mad at her. And so she went 
way into the deep end about like how far down the road could she take this and she saw no good in keeping up with us and so we <laughs> went a good we lost her for a we while we lost her for about six months there yeah and then finally got her back but yeah that was challenging and I had to go through the, the lawyer at the company and the FDA was ridiculous I had the Freedom of Information Act request like how many clinical trials do they do and how many get approved and numbers you think would just be easy at your fingertips to find out turned to be like days worth of digging yeah and then um yeah, the craziness around uh, – at one point, I, we were talking about whether they actually believed that we couldn't report on anything until whenever a year after the trial ended or something like like the – you know, we were, we were never going to get ahead of ourselves anyway. Our, our whole intent was to follow this through to get Lincoln to a shot and then actually we were going to then, you know, take some time and, and we'd come back and see, you know, what, what happened then. So, but they were messing with our heads there for a while, like. Yeah, and different messages. You yeah. know, I, I get one thing from the PR guy and then got something else from the lawyer guy and then I get something else from Angelica. And, and, and poor Maggie was caught in the middle of all of this and wasn't sure whether she should talk or not, but was like, screw it, I'm going to talk anyway. And I mean, it was a lot of extra pressure, I think, on the families that didn't need to be there, you know. And the uh, the ending of this particular chapter is where we were headed all along. This is what we... I think when I when I first started working here and Lane was like, this is a great, great story. I'm following this story. And, oh, any any day now, this kid's going to get a shot. And it finally, you know, it was on the horizon, which was a really good moment for they them. They got a date. They, they got, got a date. actual date. Yeah. Yeah. So tune back next week because then we'll tell you what happens after that. Um, but if you have a question for Lane about this story or the series, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at TampaBay.com. Join us next week. We'll pick up the series with Chapter 7. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.